Hello everyone and welcome to this bonus episode of the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop Presents Bring the Noise, A History of Early Hip Hop. On the last episode of the show about the Funky 4 Plus 1, there was a side topic I touched on, Debbie Harry of Blondie and her early interest in hip hop, but didn't go too in depth about it because it felt like it would stray too far from the main subject. But I also feel it's important enough to warrant more than a mention, so I thought I'd do that outside of the context of the regular episodes. Debbie Harry was born in 1945 and got her start singing in the folk group Wind in the Willows in the 1960s. She was a waitress at the punk club Max's Kansas City in New York City when she was recruited in 1973 to sing for the Stilettos, a punk band founded by Elda Gentile, a.k.a. Elda Stiletto. The band featured Gentile, Harry, and Rosie Ross as the lead singers and mixed punk rock with a 1960s Motown girl group sound borrowed from the Shangri-Las and the Supremes. They found mild success in the punk scene but went their separate ways by 1975. Elda would revive the Stilettos on more than one occasion with different band members over the years and eventually got a record deal. Their biggest hit was 1978's Anti-Disco. After the Stilettos broke up, Harry and the band's guitar player, Chris Stein, who were in a relationship by then, started their own group, Blondie. Blondie carried a Motown-inspired punk sound to their self-titled debut in 1976 and their follow-up, 1977's Plastic Letters. Neither found very much traction in the U.S., but were more popular in Australia and the U.K. Here's a bit of their breakout hit, In the Flesh, which reached number two in Australia. In the Flesh was actually the B-side to their first single, Ex Offender, which showed off their traditional punk rock roots a little bit better. It wasn't until their 1978 album Parallel Lines that the band struck gold. One of the singles from that album, Heart of Glass, a mix of disco rhythm and new wave synth, hit number one in the US, Australia, the UK, and all over Europe. In 
Similar to the very different sounds of In the Flesh and Ex Offender, Heart of Glass and another single off Parallel Lines, one way or another, show the group's diversity in sound. One way or another reached number 24 in the U.S., and on the strength of these two songs, helped propel Parallel Lines to the number 6 position on the chart for the year, and was certified platinum. It has since gone on to sell 20 million copies, making it their most successful album to date. It was around this time in 1978 that Debbie Harry was first introduced to hip-hop thanks to Fab Five Freddie Braithwaite. Freddie was a sometimes hip-hop DJ, but was primarily a graffiti artist, an art form that was starting to gain some level of legitimacy in New York art circles. He was often invited to display photos and examples of his work in some underground shows that Harry and Stein frequented. Fab Five Freddy used to carry around a cassette tape with a Grandmaster Flash show on one side and a Funky 4 Plus One show on the other, and he played this tape for all of his white art house friends, including the members of Blondie. Harry and Stein were both enamored with this new style of music, so they accompanied Freddy to a 1978 Grandmaster Flash performance at the PAL building, the same place Flash and the Fantastic Four battled the Funky 4 Plus One. In a 2019 interview with the Wall Street Journal, Chris Stein described the scene like this, quote, Rap was an anomaly then. It hadn't become mainstream. In the Bronx, we went to this hall with a stage, a table, two turntables, and a mixer. MCs were rhyming lyrics to the beats of spitting records. People were waiting in line to take the mic and do the same. It was competitive and improvised. Harry was hooked and began attending Flash and Funky 4 gigs outside the Bronx in punk and new wave venues like the Mud Club, the Ritz, and the Kitchen, bringing more people along to hear this new style of music. As I mentioned on the last episode of the show, Harry took a special liking to the Funky 4 Plus One thanks to crew member MC Shaw Rock, the first female MC. It was because of Shaw Rock that Harry invited the Funky 4 Plus One to perform on Saturday Night Live in 1979. After soaking in the culture for a few years, Harry and her blondie bandmates decided to create an album that would attempt to bridge the gap between rap and new wave. That album became Auto American, released in 1980. If you'll recall from the Funky 4 Plus One episode of the show, Blondie asked the Funky 4 to be on the title track of their next album and to even go on tour with them to support the album. So it's safe to assume that collaboration was part of their plan for Auto American. Stein said this about the creation of the album in a June 1981 interview for Hit Parader magazine. Quote, We wanted to make music that would cross over. I would like to see the record resolve racial tensions by bringing different audiences together. When the New Wave kids and the rapper kids get together, that'll be something. Eventually, they'll all meet in the middle, where you'll have a strong race of young people that won't be divided by stupid racial issues. It might have been a lofty goal to end racism with a record album, but Blondie gave it their best shot by recording songs that brought in many influences from many different musical cultures. Their first single from the album, The Tide is High, was a cover song based on a recording from the Jamaican ska rocksteady group The Paragons, who first hit it big with the song in 1967. The Tide is High would reach number one in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and New Zealand, and made it to the top five in Europe, Australia, and South Africa. 
The second single was their own new wave slash hip-hop homage, Rapture. The song is about six minutes long, two minutes of which is Harry singing, but the rest is her rapping. The song reached number one on Billboard's Hot 100, becoming the first hit single to feature rap elements. According to the Wall Street Journal interview, Harry and Stein came up with the idea to create Rapture while watching professional wrestling on TV in their New York City apartment. Stein says, quote, I began fooling around on my Stratocaster guitar and multi-track recorder. I came up with a bass line double with the guitar that was inspired by Bernard Edwards' bass line for Sheik's Good Times. After I had the music, we turned to the lyrics. Debbie wrote three verses, and I came up with the chorus. Harry says this about the lyrics, quote, The words I had for verses were snippets of what we had seen in the Bronx. Toe-to-toe, dancing very close, body breathing, almost comatose. Wall-to-wall, people hypnotized, and they're stepping lightly, hang each night, in rapture. Up in the Bronx, we had jammed into this room with a writhing mass of humanity, dancing and pressing against each other. My verses were just trying to capture that mood. With this in mind, the title of the track, Rapture, seems to be referring to a hip-hop jam as a sort of -of out-of-body, spiritual experience, where people are crammed together dancing and just giving themselves over to the music. It's kind of beautiful if you think about it. According to Mike Chapman, the producer for Blondie, in the same Wall Street Journal interview, quote, After two or three days, we had a completed instrumental track that lasted six and a half minutes, with Debbie singing the verses in the chorus. But her vocal covered only the song's first third. When I asked her what she envisioned for the remaining two-thirds, she said, a rap. I had no idea what she was talking about. Rap was new then. Debbie played me a few references. I said, great, it's crunch time. Get out there and rap. She said, well, we have to write it first. Debbie and Chris went off to the end of the console in the control room with a pen and pad. Now, on the one hand, the thrown-together nature of the rap lyrics could be seen as insulting by not giving it the same level of care as the traditional song lyrics. It almost seems like the rap was just an aside rather than a major feature of the song. However, I can also see how Harry and Stein might have considered their impromptu rap lyrics to be more in the spirit of the hip-hop they'd seen at the shows. Improvisational freestyling that anyone could do if they picked up the open mic, rather than being canned and scrutinized to death like so many pop song lyrics are. In fact, Harry says as much in the Wall Street Journal interview, quote, There weren't any rules to writing a rap at that point. On the opening, I wanted to capture the feeling we experienced in the Bronx. We worked in Freddy, Flash was Grandmaster Flash, who we had met in the Bronx, and Francois was just a stand-in name for a French rap group that didn't quite get it. Here's the beginning of the rap, so you can hear what she's talking about. Fab Five Freddy told me everybody's side. DJ spinning, I said, my, my. Flash is fast, Flash is cool. Francois said, Bob, Flash ain't no dude, and you don't stop. But after that opening shout-out to Fab Five Freddy and Grandmaster Flash, well, things get a little weird. You keep on eating cars. 
The rap is mostly nonsensical with lines that allude to a man from Mars who eats lots of cars and bars and then goes back to outer space. Chris Stein said in the Wall Street interview, quote, The reference to the man from Mars was my affinity for B-movies and sci-fi comic book imagery. However, Fab Five Freddy takes some of the credit for the inspiration for the Man from Mars storyline, saying, quote, I used to have a rap about how I was born and raised on the planet Mars. I used to chill and rock with the stars. Till one day I got bored and decided to split. I came to Earth on a rocket ship. These lines are alluded to in Freddy's 1982 rap single, Change the Beat. The song was one of the first international outreaches for rap music, with the A side of the record featuring Freddy rapping lyrics in both English and in French. The B side was the same song entirely in French, performed by the female rapper B-Side. The song would help launch the New York City Rap Show that brought Africa Bambata, the Rocksteady Breakdancing Crew, as well as graffiti artists like Futura 2000 and even a double Dutch jump rope team to Europe, helping to spread the culture of hip-hop internationally. Here's Freddie on Change the Beat. And very dark. Somebody was talking upon the mic. They sounded kind of good. They rocked on right. And then I moved a little closer just to see how it was going to send. And here's besides French version of Change the Beat. Change the Beat. Change the Beat. C'est Louis, Fava Freddy, Detective Privé. Tout le femme qui suit, elle lui court après. Il est cool dans l'eau. Tout le monde le connaît. Il passe tous les murs de New York City. Sa fenêtre est en place, c'est une période noire. Le téléphone coupé, le mandolé en retard. Tout le monde dans la poche, tout le crédit dans les bars. C'est quand ça tente en plus, le boulot, ça fait rare. Il passe son temps au café. The video for Blondie's Rapture became famous for being the first rap video to air on MTV. It's crazy to think that between 1981 and 1984, when the video for Run DMC's Rockbox debuted on the channel, Blondie was the closest thing to hip-hop that MTV played. But when you consider that MTV didn't often play music from any black artists until Michael Jackson's Billie Jean in 1983, perhaps it's not that big of a surprise. The video featured Fab Five Freddy, as well as his graffiti artist comrades Lee Quinones and Jean-Michel Basquiat. Grandmaster Flash was supposed to appear, but he didn't show on the day of the shoot. The video is as surreal as the lyrics of the song, with Harry dancing in a club, then walking down a set dressed to look like a New York City street. She passes Uncle Sam waving his arms, a ballerina, a black man in white jeans with no shirt but a Native American headdress, graffiti artists, and a man in a white tuxedo and top hat, presumably the man from Mars. It's bizarre and is sort of a perfect encapsulation of what MTV was playing in the early days of music videos. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. With hindsight being what it is, Rapture becoming the first number one rap hit is a bit problematic. One could argue that Blondie was just rap's version of Elvis Presley, popularizing and monetizing the artistic creation of African Americans. However, Blondie has mostly avoided this type of controversy. It seems one reason the song has been accepted is that Blondie didn't try to make a career out of rap. They had this one song with hip-hop influences, and their next album, The Hunter, released in 1982, reverted back to their rock, pop, new wave sensibilities. In the Wall Street Journal interview, Stein says, quote, I was gratified that Rapture was accepted by the rap community. I think much of that had to do with Debbie sounding like herself and being natural in the video. Harry agrees, saying, quote, I wasn't trying to be black or a Bronx rapper. It was an homage to what I saw and to a form that was exciting for us. We treated it with respect and handled it in our own way. Of course, Grandmaster Flash was a big fan, saying in a 2016 interview for the New York Daily News that his audience at one point was predominantly black and Hispanic. But after Harry gave him a shout-out in Rapture, quote, 
I was introduced. So now, white people and people of other colors were, who is Flash? So she tremendously opened the door. Flash even borrowed from the hit song for his seminal mix record, The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, released in 1982. Not only did Rapture open the door for Flash, but it undoubtedly did the same for hip-hop in general. Even though Rapture's delight hit the Billboard charts, it barely broke the top 40, making it to number 36. Impressive, but not popular enough to reach a nationwide audience. Rapture was released in January 1981 and became Blondie's biggest hit off Auto-American, holding the number one spot for two weeks in a row in March. Meaning the song had a few months to climb the charts and then inevitably to drop off the charts. So it was receiving steady airplay at radio stations across the country throughout the early part of 1981. That meant millions of people were exposed to rap music for the first time. To Harry's credit, she agrees that the song's influence wasn't necessarily on the genre itself, but on the industry as a whole. In a 2004 interview with Rolling Stone, Harry said, quote, Creatively, it did one thing in particular. It was the first rap song to have its own original music. Commercially, it made rap viable for the mainstream charts. I don't think it was a tremendous influence. I am nowhere close to being a rapper. I'm completely in awe of great rappers. And surprisingly, rappers are in awe of Blondie too. So much so that, when the band reunited to create new music for their 1999 album No Exit, they got some help from some pretty great rappers for the title track. On the album version of No Exit, rapper Coolio of 1995's Gangster Paradise fame collaborated on the song. In a 1999 interview for Salon Magazine, it's disclosed that Blondie sent a tape of No Exit to Coolio, who responded by recording his own rap to go along with it. Harry says, quote, His performance was extraordinary. We really didn't have any intimate collaboration working in the same room. He liked the song and he did his thing and sent it to us. The process was kind of existential, which sort of fits the title. In addition, a remix of No Exit, renamed Who's Gonna Cry, was released on the soundtrack to the 1999 film 200 Cigarettes. The song featured Coolio, as well as verses from Inspector Deck and You God of the Wu-Tang Clan, and Havoc and Prodigy of Mob Deep. In a 1999 Salon interview, Blondie drummer Clem Burke backs up the Blondie Bonafides by saying, quote, We've just done a remix of No Exit with Wu-Tang Clan and Mob Deep. They say the first time they heard rap was with Rapture. It's funny, you'd think they'd cite NWA or Public Enemy. Had we not done Rapture back then, I don't think it would have rang true to work with rap now. There is an acceptance of Blondie, and people recognize Debbie as being, in a way, the first female rapper. 
I'm sure Shaw Rock of the Funky 4 Plus One would argue that point, Clem, but I get what you mean. Although rap music had been poking at the zeitgeist, with Rapper's Delight reaching number 36 on the charts in 1979, and Curtis Blow's song The Breaks reaching number 87 on its way to becoming the first certified gold rap single in 1980, hip-hop hadn't really broken through to the mainstream just yet. And while it's easy to agree that Rapture maybe didn't do much to further the rap genre musically, commercially it was huge, and kicked off a watershed year for hip-hop in 1981. In July 1981, the ABC News show 2020 aired a 10-minute segment called Rap Into The Beat that gave a nationwide primetime spotlight to the growing culture coming out of New York City. Graffiti artists like Futura 2000 and Dondi started putting on shows at high-end galleries in Manhattan and the East Village. B-boys and girls were getting noticed, especially after the Rocksteady crew and the Dynamic Rockers battled at the Lincoln Center Festival in August. And during all of this, Charlie Ahern and Fab Five Freddy were starting to film parts of Wild Style, the first hip-hop feature film. In a parallel universe, Blondie and the Funky 4 Plus One collaborated and released the first number one hip-hop song for the masses. And man, I would love to hear that track. But in our world, who knows if rap would have gained a foothold in middle America were it not for Debbie Harry and Chris Stein. Before Rapture, MTV wasn't playing hip-hop. Top 40 Radio wasn't playing hip-hop. So it's hard to see an avenue that could have broken rap out of its New York City bubble. But as a number one pop hit, Rapture baby-stepped hip-hop to the masses. And for that, it could be argued that it's the most influential rap song in history. Thanks for checking out this bonus episode of the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop presents Bring the Noise, A History of Early Hip Hop. This has been your host, Rob Lamley. Stay tuned for the next episode, where we're going to look at a scrappy group of rappers that built their reputation destroying rap rivals at battles, and then went on to introduce a new style of hip-hop on record that has endured to this day. And while you're at it, fire up your Spotify account for the Bring the Noise podcast playlist. After every episode, I'll be putting together a playlist for that episode filled with songs from the featured artists, as well as other music mentioned in the show, so you can follow along with rap history as it blossoms into the world of hip-hop we know today. Check out the show notes for a link to this episode's playlist, or just search for Bring the Noise Podcast in the Spotify app and you'll find them all. As always, thanks for listening to the latest episode of Bring the Noise, a history of early hip-hop presented by the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. This has been your host, Rob Lamley. Please subscribe and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at smxaudio, and check out the website spacemonkeyx.net for today's show notes, as well as links to other workshop podcasts. Thanks again for listening to Bring the Noise, a history of early hip-hop. I'll see you all next time.